Holy Father, we thank you for a new day and for the opportunity to come together as your people to join in fellowship with each other uh, and, and now to, to look at uh, what your word has to say uh, about assurance. And I pray that you would guide and direct, that you would instruct us, that you would do um, that work in our hearts and our minds, that you would grow our understanding and increase our faith to help us in this time and bless us in it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so doubt and assurance. Um, let, me, let me start off by just saying why I chose to talk about this. If I were to go back to the early years of ministry and tell you what I thought I was going to face and deal with, um, and I graphed it out, there are some problems that I thought would be greater, some challenges that I thought would be greater, some questions that I thought would be greater that I haven't really faced. And then there are some that I didn't realize how, how much and how often. And so if you were to graph these things, doubt and assurance would be a category that I would say has, has grown increasingly. And, and it's true not only for uh, me in terms of ministry, but it's true for me personally. I think the deeper that you go into life, the deeper that you suffer, the deeper that you experience things, the more it kind of rattles you. Now, we don't like to talk about it because we sing songs like Blessed Assurance. Uh, we talk about the assurance of knowing, of being confident in our faith. Uh, we're told to approach the throne boldly, the idea with assurance. Uh, and so we, we don't like to talk about the idea that we doubt, but we all know that we do. And even when we don't identify doubt as doubt, if we really think about it, we can recognize it. And this, this comes in many different ways and at many different times. It can be as simple as just looking at the brokenness of the world, that, that it's just in a mess and going, ah. Oh. And you think, is it ever going to get better? Is there any hope? Is there, you know, just the weight of things. Or it can happen uh, when things strike close to home, uh, when you experience things personally. So I'm doing this for us to strengthen our faith. I'm doing this for me to strengthen my faith and I hope that it will be a benefit uh, to us all. So assurance, we long for it, right? We want to know that we know that we know. We want to know that the truth that we know is true truth. Have you ever been duped? <laughs> you thought you knew the truth, and then you found out you were wrong all along, and that feeling that you have. We want to know the truths that we believe, the truths that we know are true and real. And yet, Scripture tells us that we walk by faith, not by sight. And so how do those two things go together? And in a sense, we have to recognize just in that statement alone, the fact that we walk by faith and not by sight means that certain certainty is elusive. Because if it wasn't elusive, certain certainty, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, uh, then we wouldn't be called to faith. We would just simply know. Right? It would just be what is. And so keeping that in mind is in some sense a comfort to us when, we, when doubts do come along, that doubt is normal. Uh, to, to be human is to doubt. Doubt can actually be a benefit to us at times. Uh, we're going to talk about that as more. Uh, we could say that faith is to assurance as doubt is to unbelief. And what I mean by that is doubt is not... The opposite of assurance, but unbelief is the opposite of assurance. Doubt is um, doubt is to uh, you know uh, c- can 
lead to unbelief, um, but it can also lead us to the truth. And we'll talk about what that looks like as well. Uh, Faith can lead us to assurance, but it's not necessarily true that either will do that. And I think all of us have experienced this at times. Uh, It's not certain that either will. Doubt can actually be the means that leads us back to faith. What does that look like? Well, R.C. Sproul writes, Doubt does not, indeed cannot, exist in a vacuum. Without some knowledge, I cannot doubt at all. It is in the light of truth that doubt becomes a possibility. But doubt cannot ever have the last word. Only truth can establish doubt. Truth demands that we doubt what does not conform to the truth. Does that make sense? Truth demands that we doubt what doesn't conform to the truth. And so if you've ever been duped and then you find out what is true, you know, the doubts that come through that process are what lead you to understand and to know, okay, this is, this is really true. And again, this is to say that doubt is not the enemy. Uh, the enemy is unbelief. That's what we're trying to avoid. Uh, so the goal for us in seeking to know the truth and then, then putting our faith in the truth is to lead us to assurance. Again, Sproul says, Assurance floods my heart and fills my soul only when my mind has been convinced of the truth. Assurance floods my heart and fills my soul only when my mind has been convinced of the truth. So we're on kind of a quest to know the truth. And we see this in terms of matters of faith, but it's also true in matters of life. I mean, if anything has taught us over the last few years about our news media, it's that we don't always know that we're getting the truth. Conflicting stories come out, uh, or even out of, uh, you know, other things beyond that. You know, that, that, uh, uh, that may not be the best example. But, you know, you, you think you know what is true about something, and then another part of the story comes out, or another person tells another side of the story, or you hear another version of the story. And so... Um, I think it's important to remember that assurance isn't a destination as Christians. Assurance is a journey. And if we treat it as if it's a destination, I think we'll become frustrated and and we'll risk despair if we think that if we could just arrive, if we could just get there, or if we think we've gotten there because we've had a good day or a good season, and then doubt comes back. And we struggle with it again. And so understand that it is part of the faith experience. All of us have experienced moments where we have had uh, assurance. And then we're shocked, so to speak, when moments of doubt or even seasons of doubt and struggle come along. So growing in assurance is part of our sanctification. And it's good that we see growth as a process and not as a commodity. I think if we treat assurance as something that we possess, then when we lose it, we're, we're much more tempted to enter into despair. And so we need to see it as part of our growth. It's, it's a process. Now, maybe all that sounds good, or maybe I sound like the Charlie Brown teacher. So let me ask this question. What causes us to doubt? This can be interactive. I'll drink coffee. What causes us to doubt? What are the things when we don't live what we believe? Okay. Fear? Disappointment. Melissa? Yes. 
Envy. That seems to be coming up a lot. Yeah. What else? Sin. Sin. <laughs> I cover it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Covers quite a range, doesn't it? Insecurity, the supernatural. Which I think is why we're going to continually come back to we walk by faith, not by sight, because it is the supernatural. But I do think that it doesn't mean that, that assurance is elusive. I think certain certainty, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, the spectrum of certainty, we can say that. But we, we walk by faith, yeah, the supernatural. When I said sin, what I meant particularly when you're allowing something in your life that you know is... Yeah, yeah. In other words, your Christian life is a continuing repentance, just like Martin Luther said it's a... Yeah, the number of times I've encountered people that are struggling with the doubt who have unrepentant sin, is it, it, that's a pretty common thing. But let me say this, that's not the only reason, right? You, know, you can have doubt and, and not have unrepentant sin in your life. So we're going to talk about the fact that, that guilt and shame come in with doubt, and we need to fight that as well. Um, but uh, we, we, some of these we've already mentioned, conflicting information, you know, you hear two versions of a story. Suffering, pain can cause us to doubt. A lack of knowledge. You think you know one thing and then you find out what the truth was and, and you had doubts. Uh, previous deceptions, you get jaded. Uh, intellectual bullying, uh, someone who just, you know, they, they know more about a topic than you. And so they come and then you, you, you start to doubt all that you know. If, you, if you've ever talked to, like if you were uh, redoing your yard and then you run into a land, landscape architect, and they're dropping all of, I don't know if anybody's a landscape architect. I just picked that one out of thin air. Sorry, I was trying to pick something. But, but they know all the terms and the, the names of the plants and everything. And you just feel like, I don't know anything at all, you know. Uh, and so that, that kind of, uh, uh, it may not necessarily be bullying, but those kind of things can cause us to doubt. Uh, uh, conflicting experiences. You know, you have one experience and you think this about, you know, it's the best restaurant in Vero. You tell everybody it's the best restaurant in Vero. And then you go back and you have a horrible experience. And then not only do you doubt all the truth that you thought about it being the best restaurant, but then you feel bad about telling everybody. Sometimes doubt comes just because you wake up in a funk. You know, you just wake up and you have no idea where this is coming from, where, where you know, what the source is. You just, it's just there. It's like the Eeyore thing. You know, the cloud that hangs over your head and follows you around all day. And you don't want it, and you don't wish it was there, but there it is. And whatever the source of doubt, doubt can come from a lot of different angles. Sometimes we see where it comes from. Sometimes we have no idea where it comes from. Uh, one of the things that, that happens for believers is that doubt can bring guilt. And feelings of guilt then often get compounded with shame, and then doubt turns into this unconquerable mountain. So it, it, it's a, a cyclical type of thing that can become problematic, that if we don't confront it, if we don't fight it, if we don't find a way to deal with it, it can grow and grow and grow. And so while we can say that unbelief is the enemy and doubt is not, doubt can become an enemy if we don't fight against it. Like a snowball rolling in the snow, if we don't confront it, it grows. 
Now, if Sproul is correct that doubt doesn't exist in a vacuum, since without some knowledge we can't doubt at all, then doubt isn't always wrong. Doubt isn't always wrong. Unbelief is wrong, but to doubt isn't necessarily wrong. And we do this every day in our decision-making. If you've ever, um, I've noticed this is increasing with age, pull up to an intersection, check both ways, and then you just kind of have this doubt. Like, I'm going to look again, you know. And sometimes there's been a car. Uh, if, you've, if you didn't use that doubt in that moment, your refusal or unbelief of your doubt would uh, probably, you know, or could lead to, you know, ruining your day. So doubt becomes then, in a sense, a tool that when it comes into our minds, we use it to verify what is true. In that case, I'm looking again to see what is true. Is it really clear? Is it safe to go? Um, If you're talking about US-1, the truth is constantly changing. (laughs) So what what was a moment ago safe is no longer safe. So unbelief refuses to acknowledge the truth, and that leads us to a collision with reality, in this case, a T-bone. But that's true, spiritually speaking, as well. When we refuse to believe, we will be confronted with reality. So if doubt then leads us to seek what is true, it is useful. If doubt leads us to unbelief, it is harmful. And so I'm saying this in an attempt to remove guilt from doubt, If you um, have found that you feel guilty for doubting doubting, or you feel shame associated with doubt, I want to remove that from you. That doubt is a part of faith. It it is, is a component of faith. Now, I'm not saying that we should try to doubt. Like, you know, looking to doubt. I think this is what Descartes did. He went around doubting everything he could possibly doubt to try and figure out what was truth. And maybe that's a great experience for a philosopher, and I don't want to go down in those weeds too deeply. Uh, but, but, but in a sense, we're not, we're not just trying to doubt. Doubts come on their own. We don't have to try. Uh, they come from like all the things that we just named. But recognizing that it's not something that we need to feel guilty for. Example of this, when we, we come to 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures breathed out, it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, righteousness, that we can be equipped for everything. Or we look at the high priestly prayer of Jesus where he prayed, sanctify them in truth, he's praying for us. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. And so if I come to God's word knowing that it's true, my, my attempt is not to doubt it, but to, to recognize it as true in the same way that if you doubted how much candy corn you had in your trick-or-treat bag, you would count it, you know, right? You would, you would measure it. And so we, we go to uh, kind of first principles or truths that we know to uh, kind of orient us to what is right, what is real, what is true. And so we seek the truth in Scripture then to answer our doubts. So we don't need to be afraid of doubt, but instead use it to seek and know the truth. Doubt can be kind of like the discipline of measuring twice and cutting once. Uh, you know, when, when it pops up in our lives, we use it as a tool uh, to make sure that we're doing or we're aware of what is actually true. Again, to quote Sproul, uh, the miracles of the Bible cannot prove and were never designed to prove the existence of God. The very possibility of a miracle requires that there first be a God who can empower it. It is not the Bible that proves the existence of God. It is God who, through miracles, attests that the Bible is his word. Once the necessity of a self-revealing God is proven, 
belief in the Bible becomes implicitly a virtue. And so the point here is that we don't have to cower in shame when we doubt, but rather we go seek the truth. We go to God's word. We go toward the light. We're, we're trying to understand. We're trying to, to, uh, to deal with that. We're going to talk more about how we fight doubt later on. Um, but I want to st- simply establish that doubt is not the enemy. Unbelief is the enemy. Alistair McGrath says, doubt is not unbelief. It can, however, become unbelief. That basic principle should guide our thinking as we differentiate doubt, which is natural within faith, from unbelief, which is not. We need to learn to be relaxed about doubt. Doubt is like an attention-seeking child. The more attention you pay to it, the more attention it demands. By worrying about our doubts, we get locked into a vicious cycle of uncertainty. Unbelief, listen to this, Unbelief is the decision to live life as if there is no God. It is a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. When you're doubting, that's not what you're doing. And so the guilt and the shame that comes from doubt is because you fear this is what you're doing. But this is not what you're doing. Doubt is something quite different, he says. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It is a wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust. But it is not and need not become a problem. Just because I can't prove my faith in God doesn't mean that it's wrong. Now, if you think that he's being a little too flippant about doubt, uh, I don't think he is because our tendency with doubt, and again, we could illustrate this not just with spiritual matters, but with matters uh, in our occupations or, or whatever, uh, the tendency is that, that doubt can become, if, if we let it, doubt can become something that, that, that consumes us. So we need, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm also thinking uh, that up about uh, Jesus' post-resurrection uh, appearance in the upper room where Doc, Doubting Thomas was there. Mm-hmm. And Thomas expressed his doubt completely. Jesus said, take your hand and feel it under my side and feel it on your fingers, all these marking spots uh, when he had his fleshly body that these things that, that were done to him. You know, yeah. That's right. You're getting ahead of me, Ray. All right. So don't, don't steal all my thunder now. Um, so we, uh, now you know where we're going. Uh, but the, the, the thing is, and, and just highlight what, what Eric said. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, uh, Martin Luther, I mean, a lot of the, the guys that we look up to and read and study all had their crises of faith. They had moments. They were honest, really, about their doubts. I know Schaeffer ended up, uh, a year, you know, paced in that barn, uh, you know, just going back to the very basics. What, what do I believe? What do I believe? This is after he's ordained as a pastor, you know. And so to me, that's encouraging that when I have doubts that, that, that people who we think of that are bastions of truth, you know, if they can have doubts, then I can, I can have doubts too. And so the point that, that I'm wanting to, to describe here, the point that McGrath gets in is that we don't have to fear doubt but we need to understand it, and we need to fight against it with truth. 
None of us wants to doubt. This is true with everything. We love to be certain. If you talk to anyone, particularly about things that they're passionate about, uh, you'll find that there is little uncertainty. And it can get you in trouble. Um, I did this early on in our married life. I Well, I, I don't know if it had anything to do with us being married other than the fact that it happened in both sets of the families where I became kind of the technical guru in the family. Because when it came to gadgets and technology, I would get really excited, and I, I guess I came across as really certain. And, uh, and it was great until people would, you know, they'd call you for help or call you to come over to fix a problem, and that was fine. But then when you recommended something, and three years later it didn't work one day, they would call you up and say, this computer you told me to buy isn't working. This camera that you told me to buy is broken. And, you know, there's no room for user error or whatever. And so I learned to bite my tongue uh, about those things now, and I don't offer my, my input. But we love to be certain about everything. Uh, none of us loves to be, hey, yeah, yeah, I like to doubt. I mean, we, 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 we have our, even, even if we know that we're not certain, we love to, you know, the Braves are the best baseball team. We know this, right, with certainty. Uh, you know, Apple makes the best computer. Uh, Toyota makes the most reliable car. And, and just from your laughter, I know that you all have the certainty about these things as well. Um, we want to be certain. We like to be certain, even if it's in our own heads Certainty is something that, that we prefer. But we all recognize that since we walk by faith and not by sight, certainty is a challenge. Now, we will say things like, I know with certainty that Jesus died for my sins. I know with certainty that he rose from the dead. I know with certainty that he will come again. I've said those things. I will say those things again. But if we're honest, those are not things that we're certainly certain about. We didn't witness them with our eyes. We didn't see a a videotape recording of them in terms of the scientific method. We don't have a way to prove those things. And so I think it may be helpful to think of certainty along a spectrum uh, in the sense of there are things that we can be certainly certain of and there are things that we are less certain of even though we speak with certainty. And so if I pick up and I hold my iPad and I say I'm certain that I'm holding my iPad, none of you think I'm crazy uh, not only because it's an insignificant thing, but you can see I'm holding my iPad. And so, you know, we, we, we don't question things like that, things that we can see, th- things that we can detect with our senses. But if I say that I'm certain today that the weather is going to remain as it is right now, we're not going to have any rain, I am certain of this. Uh, some of you will know that I'm kind of a, a weather geek, and you might nod along, but there's at least one skeptic in here is like, nope, it's Florida. You know, (laughs) there's a chance. There's always a chance that something's going to come through. There could be rain today. I'm not as certain as you are. Now, if I got up here and I told you that, um, you know, I read multiple weather blogs this morning, including Mike's weather page, and I watched his brief every day. If you, Frank's the one who turned me on to that. If you live in Florida and don't follow Mike's weather page, you need to, uh, the drunk donkey. Uh, if you, you know, if I told you that I understood atmospheric conditions and jet, jet stream conditions and, and all of these things, and I began to describe in intricate detail things that, you know, ter- using terms that, that you weren't familiar with, you might grow in some certainty and, and so forth, but how certain are we still about the weather? We know every day that the weathermen get on, and 50% of the time they're wrong, <laughs> at least on some level. And so the idea of certainty can be seen on a spectrum. Um, things that we can verify, that we can be, there are things that we can be more certain of than others. 
Os Guinness said, followers of Christ are not simply fair-weather believers. They are, this really has nothing to do with the weather illustration. It just comes next in my notes, and I almost moved it, but I'll just go ahead and interject that. Followers of Christ are not simply fair-weather believers. They are realistically committed to truth. People who think in believing and believe in thinking, as Augustine expressed it. They are therefore like experienced pilots who can fly in bad weather as easily as in good by night as well as by day, and upside down as well as, by, as well as right side up. Faith's rainy days will come and go, and dark nights of the soul may threaten to overwhelm, but safe flying is possible for those who have a solid grasp of the instruments, that is, God's truth and promises, and a canny realism about the storm and stress of doubt. And so there is this sense of certainty, right, from knowing God's promises. We look back at his character. We see that he's never broken his promise. We see that it's true and that it's sure. And so we, we, we look at his word as, as an instrument, like a pilot would. And even when our circumstances and experiences in this life and all of our senses tell us one thing, if it conflicts with God's truth, we, we run back to the truth. In the same way that a pilot, pilot, if all of his senses made him think that he was going down and his instruments say he's going to go up or he's going up, he's going to trust his instruments. And they're taught to do that because our senses can deceive us. And, uh, and, and that's true spiritually speaking as well. So doubt is neither friend nor foe necessarily, but rather is a tool. Doubt is kind of like fire. Fire can be used to bring light. Uh, we can use it to see by. It can illuminate obstacles that are in our way to keep us from tripping over them or running into them. But if you get, as any young scout learns, too close to the fire for too long, it will burn you. And if you stay too close to the fire for too long, it can destroy you. It can consume you. And I think, I don't, maybe, maybe that's not a good illustration, but in my mind, at least it is. I hope it's helpful that, you know, doubt is one of those things that can be useful if it leads us to the truth, if it lights our way and helps us see obstacles. But if we get cozy with doubt, if we don't treat it respectfully in a sense as a tool, we can actually do damage with it. Uh, you know, I, I've grown up in a, with a dad who was a cabinet builder, you know, I always wanted the power tools because, well, power, right? <laughs> but dad was reluctant when I was younger to let me use them because he understood that when they're not properly used, they can cause harm, including to the user. Usually the harm that I did with them was to the wood. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, they're, they're designed to be used in a certain way, and I think the same can be said for doubt. Now I want to end by looking at a passage of Scripture about doubt. Um, I, I think there are a number of places that we could go, and since Ray already saw my notes, he's already told you where we're going. Let me mention a couple other places that we could go. I'm just picking on you, Ray. Uh, I, I know you didn't look at my notes. But the Psalms are filled with doubts. Uh, the psalmists uh, regularly expressed their questions, their doubts to God. Um, Sinclair Ferguson points out a number of others. He says, think of Elijah suffering from total exhaustion. He doubted God's future purpose for his life, and he lay down to die. He said, I have had enough. Um, Jeremiah, familiar with this guy, right? Beaten, being placed in the stocks, and then in private, his suffering catches up with him, and he cries out, O oh Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. 
There's John the Baptist, fearless in denouncing Herod's immoral behavior, yet he receives an unwelcome visit from doubt as he languishes in prison and anxiously sends to know whether Jesus really is the Messiah after all. So there are numerous accounts of doubt in Scripture. Uh, but I want to take us to the one that, that uh, Ray mentioned in John 20, post-resurrection. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. When we read that, our tendency is to focus with doubting Thomas or focus on doubting Thomas, kind of identify with him. And that's not improper at all. But I want to instead draw our attention to what Jesus says um, he, he doesn't condemn Thomas, Thomas for doubting. He doesn't you know, wag his finger at him and, and, and uh, act disgusted. But he says simply touch, see, and believe. You know, use your senses, verify the truth. You doubt, verify. Uh, see for yourself. He doesn't squash him. He challenges him to verify the truth to become convinced. And as Thomas does, his exclamation shows the not only assurance that he gains from this, but there's joy in this as well. My Lord and my God. It's almost like he were you know, blindfolded and kind of guided into a room and then the blindfolds ripped off. I mean, he, it was there all along, but it wasn't until he touched, until he, he, he sensed it in that way that he realized and all of his doubts uh, are erased. Again, what Sproul, well, the quote that I read earlier, assurance floods my heart and fills my soul only when my mind has been convinced of the truth. And so with that assurance is joy. Now we're going to talk more about assurance. I'm focusing on doubt really to kind of hopefully lay the the, the foundation uh, of this. But I want to say again, doubt's not uh, not the enemy. Unbelief is the enemy. Doubt is rather a tool, but as with many tools, they serve a purpose Uh, Play with it and you'll get injured, but use it properly and you can benefit. And the proper use of doubt is to seek truth, to discern truth, so that we might grow stronger in the truth. And so I, you know, it's simplistic, but I I just think back again to pulling up to the intersection. Um, And and we all get this because we do it every day, but you you, you know what it's like where you you know, you're not sure, is it safe to go? And the consequences are, are serious. And, of course, if it's US-1, there's, you know, six different cars going six different speeds and in two different directions, and, you know, you're trying to, to do all the math. So doubt is actually very helpful in that situation because it forces us to use our senses to continually verify, verify, verify what's true. And if you think of, you know, if you have kids and have taught them how to drive in those situations, they think it's so simple. But you recognize that there's a million things that you're trying to compute. 
And in a sense, you want them to doubt. You don't want them to be assured of themselves uh, with, with, with too great of assurance because you know if they do that, they'll be careless. You want them to have some doubts when they go out there, to double-check, to verify uh, when they cross the intersection. And so I think that, that when we recognize that doubt works that way in our lives and we use it in that way, we can see it as a benefit um, to us. I want to say also that, uh, particularly when we think of assurance, that a hallmark of it isn't simply certainty, but for us as believers, a hallmark of, of, of assurance is, is joy. Um, I think that it's, it's so easy, and maybe this, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it home here, our own circles in the PCA or, the, you know, just we say Presbyterian and Reformed world, you know, we can kind of be known as, as a bit curmudgeonly. Uh, you know, we're, we're certain <laughs> uh, if there's a guy, um, I, I don't, I, I think he's on all the social media platforms and he's a Reformed Baptist guy and he, he, he's, he's just kind of gone viral recently and he does these different scenarios with the various denominations and he has kind of a costume for each one. You want to guess what the Presbyterian one is? <laughs> yeah, it's the bow tie, the sweater vest. But it, he, he uses the line, um, uh, superior theology. I think it's superior theology and intellect. Like in every, in every clip or whatever, the Presbyterian guy always works that in. Superior theology and intellect. Smoking a cigar, of course, I think he may have a bourbon in his hand. But it's, you know, so I'm, I'm picking on us here because they're, 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 we, that may not be true of anybody in this room, but, but it's certainly uh, something that, uh, that can describe our circles. And so uh, while we have certainty, sometimes we might lack joy. And I think that true, God-honoring, biblical assurance brings with it joy. I'm not talking about being happy all the time or glib about everything, but I mean a joy that our sins are forgiven and all that that means for us in this life and in the life to come. Doubtless certainty without joy, and I'll stand behind this, doubtless certainty without joy is not a hallmark of a mature Christian. Doubtless certainty without joy is not a hallmark of a mature Christian. Rather, as we grow in assurance, we discover that joy comes with it. I think that they are inseparably linked. Again, I'm not saying being glib, being flippant, we're not happy all the time, all of us have dark days, we have struggles, and so forth. But overall, there ought to be a joy that comes from the confidence that we have in Christ and let me finish with this. I always struggle to find the right, right math. I really thought I had way more content than I did. I was going to go over today, but uh, we're going to finish early. Uh, but I want us to end with this, the, 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 the beatitude that Jesus spoke uh, at, at, in the disciples' presence. He said to Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so there's a, a blessing that the, the Savior pronounces on us because none of us have seen. Uh, and yet we are called to believe, and we do believe. And that assurance um, that, that, that we have uh, that is hopefully growing, that's, that's the desire for assurance that it's growing, um, is something that brings with it a blessing. I'll say this too, that, that um, a, a lot of times when we doubt, we, um, we need to look back. Uh, we need to look back at what God's done in our lives, you know, that we're not the same people we were five minutes ago five months ago, five years ago, uh, that, that, that the Lord is, is, 
is, is working. He's growing. I mean, he said that's what he will do. That's one of his promises. That's one of the things that we can be assured of is that he said he will finish the work. He will bring it to completion. And so while we may look back and think, yeah, but I didn't doubt about this and I didn't doubt about that. Sometimes the doubts that we have today are actually from going deeper, <laughs> from growing. Our eyes are open. We see things about ourselves or uh, we understand things. And so we doubt about things that we didn't doubt before. But it doesn't mean that, that, it's, uh, that, that we've regressed necessarily, but that the Lord is taking us. He's deepening, strengthening uh, the assurance that we have in him. Any questions or comments before we go? Yes, sir. Yeah, it's a good point. And Melissa hinted on this as hit on this as well. The whole comparison thing of recognizing that God works in our lives differently. Uh, and it's it's dangerous when we, we compare ourselves uh, because it stirs up envy in our hearts. Uh, and so the, the point is, is that God is at work. His promises are to all of us. It doesn't mean that he's going to work the same way in all of our lives. But we need each other. We need to hear each other's testimonies. We need to hear each other's stories to be encouraged. And then we need to in- encourage each other. But we don't ever need to do that in a way that's um, condescending or, you know, uh, whatever. Because, you know, you're, you're, I, I've never struggled with that or I've never dealt with that. But rather in a way that's compassionate and, uh, and I think empathetic. Because uh, even though, you know, maybe we haven't had a season. Uh, of doubt, like Glenn described, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. And if certain, you know, we've just read through Job, uh, uh, you know, in January, if, if you read through it, that's a good reminder that, you know, if the world came crashing down, would it, would it, would it rattle you? And I think it might. And so we don't know what the future holds. And so we thank God for the assurance that he's given us. We seek to grow in that assurance to strengthen our faith. We tend, or we seek to, to use doubt as a tool to, to determine, measure the truth. Seek to encourage others with, with that assurance, not, not condemning or condescending, uh, but rather treating uh, assurance as something that's not a commodity that we possess, but a process or a growth through which we are being sanctified and the Lord is doing something in our lives and he's going to finish it. He's going to carry it to completion so we can be sure of that. Let me close our time in prayer. Father, thank you for, for this, this, this statement that we're, we're called blessed uh, because we believe and we have not seen. And so, Lord, in moments of doubt, in seasons of doubt, in times of deep doubt, uh, would you strengthen our faith in you and would you give us assurance, uh, the assurance that we long for, that we might know you are, you are who you say you are, your promises are true, 
and that you will bring it all to completion. I thank you for each person here and the, the life that, and the, 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 the testimony that they represent of your saving work in their, in their own life. And I pray that we'd find ways to, to share that with each other and build each other up for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.